The advice in this podcast is general in nature and does not constitute medical advice. Always consult your doctor if you are concerned about your child's health. We recommend always following the safe sleep guidelines. In the spirit of reconciliation, Dr. Fallon and Dr. Law acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They pay respects to their elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome back to Brand New Little People, the podcast all about early parenting with a particular focus on sleep and settling and crying across those first few years. Um, You're here with Dr. Fallon, that's me, and we've got Dr. Laura here as well. We are PhDs and sleep practitioners as well. And a couple of months ago, we launched Sombao, which is Australia's first online paediatric sleep clinic um, for little babies. So, Laura, it's been a crazy week. You've been really super busy in clinic. And I want to know, last week, what were, you know, because I often find each week there's some some sort of theme that kind of mm-hmm. comes up when you find yourself talking about this one particular thing over and over again. And I wondered if there was something like that that popped up for you last week with the families that you saw, you know, what sort of issues were your, your families dealing with? Yeah, Fallon, it's funny how that happens, isn't it, where there's uh, some weeks I just seem to have my uh, clinic full of, um, parents with their four-year-olds and the next week it's parents with their mm. tiny little babies um, so last <laughs> week the um, one of the things that kept coming up again and again um, was families coming to see me because their babies were feeding a lot overnight either breastfeed or bottle feeds and they wanted some help to reduce the number of overnight feeds um, And there was a variety of ages as well. So I had some um, little babies who are only four or five months old. So, of course, it's completely appropriate for them to be having feeds overnight. But then I had all the way through to three-year-olds who were waking up in the middle of night and raising merry hell Uh. if mum or dad didn't give them a nice warm bottle, 250 mils of uh, milk (laughs) at three o'clock in the morning. Um, So yeah, it was, um, that was a theme of the week. So I enjoyed uh, working with those families and working out what was going to be appropriate for them and their situation. um, And um, you know, whether they were going to continue giving feeds, um, but to reduce the number or whether they were going to stop feeds altogether. Yeah. And it it just depends so much on the age, doesn't it? You know, you're reminding me of something really funny. I've had a couple of, um, I think they were both three years old. One might've been four years old. Um, and they were having a night feed, but not the kind of <laughs> night feed you're thinking of. I mean, one of them was waking up about 2 or 3 a.m. and needed a banana to fall back asleep. <laughs> they wanted to wake up and have their midnight banana snack, which I think is kind of cute. <laughs> I think for that yeah. family it was probably a bit of a, a, you know, them waking up and kind of wanting to keep mum and dad there a bit longer and have some snuggles and things more so than the banana. Um, and I did have another family one time that was just like giving them a serve of dinner in the middle of the night. And I think these very clever toddlers and preschoolers sometimes figure out that if I say I'm hungry, you know, and these are toddlers and preschoolers who bottle feeds and milk feeds and things are very much a thing of the past. 
Um, so they've realised if I say I'm hungry, there's actually a snack available in the middle of the night. Yes. <laughs> and so that can become a bit of a preference to just wake up and call out and enjoy that, um, which is, yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of, it's funny. It is funny. Um, but good when it's dropped, <laughs> when everyone's yeah. sleeping back through the night again. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I do for those families that have um, the older children that we help with who are doing things like in the middle of the night wanting a banana or a Vegemite sandwich or whatever it is (laughs) that they're accustomed to having is um, I think about incorporating that into the bedtime routine. Yeah. So that if there is something that they're really stuck on, like that banana, then um, you say you can have a banana at bedtime, but you have to have it. Yes. Um, before you go to sleep and uh, before you do your teeth. Yes, and, and then, then they get to the check middle... it off the list. Yeah, because it's, yeah, like, it's, right. it's almost like they just want to go, yep, tick, I've had the banana. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, right. So, yeah, let them do it, but work it out so that it happens at a more appropriate time. <laughs> yeah. And what about you, Fallon? So what have you been seeing um, this week in clinic? Um, I actually had a lot of mums last week who I think are feeling pretty lonely and isolated. Um, so it was a little bit of a sad week actually, because I just kept thinking Mm. about how, um, you know, so many of us we're parenting in isolation and it might be that we've got Mm. some support, but not enough support or, um, or maybe you just don't have support. I mean, there's plenty of families Mm. who, um, you know, are living overseas from, from where their family's based or, um, or just yeah. don't, yeah, don't, you know, grandparents might be working or, you know, they're, they're just not quite getting the support that they need. You know, it's ridiculous. But on Friday, I was trying to like think of, well, what, I'll send out an email to everyone um, on our list this week. And I thought, right, I'll, I'll write something about, you know, parenting in isolation. And I did. I wrote this like big long thing. And then I read it and I was like, this is so sad. <laughs> no one oh. wants to read this. <laughs> So I've shelved that for another day. <laughs> I think I would have just depressed everybody. But um, it did get me thinking about this idea of, you know, everyone talks about it takes a village to raise a child. Mm. And, of course, it does. Um, but it just made me think so much about how that's really changed. Like 50 years ago, there was, you know, most households were a single-income household. There was one parent at mm-hmm. home to raise the children. And all those parents who were at home, could get together. You'd get advice from your friends. You wouldn't have to deal with 17 conflicting bits of information from the internet, you know. No. You'd touch to your friends, to the people who cared about you and loved you, and they would, you know, give you hopefully pretty nice supportive advice. And if you were having just an absolutely crap day, there were other parents around who could just give you a bit of a hand. Um, Gosh, I wish we had that these days, but it's unfortunately quite rare. But we, we sort of got talking about this idea, Laura, you sent me a great video where someone was talking about how you can still have a village, it's just that it's not free anymore, you yeah. have to pay for it, which is sad as well. Again, very depressing topic. Mm. But um, I think that's really true. We can still have that village, but we have the village through our early childhood education workers Um you know, so it's through the childcare centres and the kindergartens when your child's making those connections with other carers. Um, it's through, you know, health nurses and it might be a family doctor or, you know, that's sort of how we build that network. And hopefully you've got a couple of really good friends in there who have similar age children as well. Um, so you might have some support through a parents group. Um, but I think it's really important if you do get dealt a raw hand and you don't have the family support or maybe you just don't mesh with your mother's group or your parent group 
don't stop looking. <laughs> you know, your people, yeah. your people are out there. And I, honestly, Laura, I don't think I really found my people until my kids were in their primary school years. I think I was pretty mm. lonely when mine were really little um, because I lived in an area where a lot of people already had these friendship groups that have been going mm-hmm. on forever and I was kind of new to the area. Um, yeah. So it took a long time for me to kind of find my people and I'm bloody glad I've got them now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, you don't necessarily find them um, straight off the bat. Um I see families come into the clinic who um, have had parent groups assigned to them and then for whatever reason they haven't gelled with them or they've um, moved away um, and they um, haven't been able to maintain those friendships Um, and it's quite a common experience. I was very lucky with my mother's group um, and I'm still in touch with them today many years down the track but I realized that I was quite lucky because there were a few of us in that mother's group who um, had situations where we didn't have any support and it was just potluck that we all happened to be assigned to the same parents group and we became Mm. each other's we became the village for each other oh that's Um, amazing isn't it yeah I was really really lucky it's a shame that the same thing didn't happen for you Fallon to be um yeah, yeah, you know, I was just thinking with... then, I think one of the key people in my kind of village that I did have was just the most amazing health nurse. Like, she mm. was just incredible. Her name was Alan. I don't remember her surname, but maybe one day she'll hear this. But every time <laughs> I went in for an appointment, I would leave feeling like I was the best parent in the world. Like, she was oh. so good at validating yeah. my experiences, but also pointing out what I was doing really well at because there's so many oh, things you're brilliant. doing a good job of, you know, and we as parents we focus on the things we're stuffing up or <laughs> feel clueless about. And then yeah. she was so good at just making me feel like I was doing a good job and I could manage this. And I think there's a lesson in that in that if you do have a health nurse or a doctor and you don't gel with them or you just leave feeling really crappy and like I don't know, like it just isn't gelling all that well. You are allowed to change health nurses and you don't have to give a reason. You can just ring up your local council and say, can I go to a different centre or see a different nurse? So um, if that's one of your key supports is not working for you, you can definitely change it. Um, Laura, you were telling me about a really great support that you found in your local area. Yes, yeah. And it was through uh, my maternal and child health nurse, actually, who was called Julie. Um, hi, Julie. I know she's retired now. I don't know if she listens to this. <laughs> but um, anyway, Julie was lovely. And she told me about a local um, initiative through, I think it was through the Rotary Club. Um, but it was known colloquially as rent a gran. Um, <laughs> so um, it was a, this wonderful initiative where they took, um, they found older women who were um, mostly not working anymore and whose children had flown the nest, um, but who wanted to help younger women in the community. And so I had a lovely rent a gran called Libby who mm-hmm. helped me with both of my children. Um, and she was wonderful. She would come to maternal and child health checks with me. Um, she would come and hold the younger child um, or the uh, look after the older child whilst I breastfed the younger one. Um, and gosh, it was brilliant. It was so oh, good. And for her, it was, you know, one morning a week. Um, but for me, yeah. it was just priceless. Oh, that's mm. incredible. And I reckon there's got to be 
like it's got to be um, you know something we need to do more of where we've got this older generation that are increasingly feeling lonely and isolated and we've also got new parents feeling very much the same so how wonderful yes. to bring those two together and I bet she got as much out of it as you would have as well she probably loved being a part of your lives too gosh I really yeah. love that yeah that's yeah, awesome. it was wonderful it was yeah. Um, yeah really really good initiative so um everyone who's listening who is feeling a little bit isolated um have a chat with your maternal and child health nurse or your local medical center to see if there is a similar initiative in your area that you could tap into um and mm. um don't be don't be afraid of asking for that help because we do have to be much more proactive these days than we did in the or that mothers um, had to in the past um, to construct that village um, to help you raise your little ones. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's also a really good job you can give to a non-breastfeeding parent if you're the one who's doing all these long breastfeeds and you're looking for what you can outsource to your partner, go and get them to go on the council website or call up you know, the MCH helpline and, yes. and investigate some of these things as well. Um, it doesn't just have to be your responsibility to build that village. You, know, you can, can do that together. Um, Laura, we've had so many amazing questions come through this week. I don't even know how we're going to fit them all in, but we're going to give it a red (laughs) hot go. Yeah. Um, So maybe we start with Madeleine. Hi, Madeleine. You've sent us this really lovely email. Um, Madeleine says she's been um, using the Sombal program since her little baby was about eight weeks old and he's now just over four months old. He goes down for a nap without any settling at all. Amazing. Um, he's also sleeping well overnight. Sometimes he sleeps through 11 hours straight. Gosh, this is feeling like an ad (laughs) more than a question. I promise there's a question in here. Um, that is so amazing that you've had those results, Madeleine. That's, that's fantastic. Um, so everything's going really well, she says, but my anxious brain needs to ask this. Oh God, I had so many anxious brain questions when I was a new (laughs) mum. So I completely Mm. understand. So she says, during the day, he has around five naps, which are usually 45 minutes long, but sometimes are just 30 minutes or maybe up to um, uh, one and a half hours. Um, She says she watches for tired signs and generally he can stay awake for about one to one and a half hours before he needs a nap. She says, I feel Mm -hmm. like the internet, not Sunbell, but the internet is telling me that at this age, he should be able to stay awake for longer. But then I think about his naps and he seems happy to go down and falls asleep really quickly and he wakes up happy as well. Should I be concerned Mm -hmm. at all? Thank you for this wonderful resource and for the podcast. Oh, thanks, Madeline. Um, What do you think, Laura? What do you think about five naps per day and he's five, uh, sorry, he's four months old at the moment. Four months old. Yeah. Um, Well, first of all, Madeleine, well done um, on um, those really lovely long nights that your baby is having um, Mm. and the fact that he's able to um, go down into his cot and settle himself to sleep um, is awesome. Five naps a day is at the top end of the number of naps for a baby that age. But um, of course, Favel and you and I are never looking too much at the... um, age of the child we look at the child in front of us Mm. um so it doesn't surprise me that on five naps a day they generally are the shorter duration 30 to 45 minutes um and i wouldn't be expecting him to be having longer naps um 
and still having five of them because there'd be no way that he could fit um, that many yeah yeah and then what we'd be finding is that the day naps are going to start to encroach on the overnight sleep um the fact that he has started she i think she said there in her email that there's on occasion he'll have a nap for an hour and a half that's suggesting to me that he's beginning to be able to link his sleep cycles during the day and what might begin to happen is that if he starts to have one or two naps that are a little bit longer if he carries on then having the three or four short naps after that that you might start to find that the nights become a little bit disrupted and so I'd be just keeping an eye on that and um, thinking about dropping that last nap of the day so that you're moving him on to the four naps so he may have one or two naps which are an hour hour and a half and then um, a shorter um, couple of naps what do you think Fallon yeah in my experience the ones who have lots of short naps it's completely fine if they're really happy with it there's really not an issue but what can sometimes happen is you know we know over time that a baby's total sleep needs are going to gradually decline and I feel like Mm -hmm. it's the ones that have lots of short naps that tend to hold on to lots of short naps and when those sleep needs do decline then nights start to worsen which is yeah what you were sort of touching Mm. on Laura so I'd just be really watchful If nights do start to become a bit challenging, I'd be pretty quick to try and drop down to four naps. Um, Because Mm. I think too, you know, with what you were saying, it sounds like you can sometimes link a sleep cycle. Um, If you are to wait a little bit longer between those naps, so that that sleep pressure and sleep drive is that little bit higher, there's a really good chance he would start to do more of those longer sort of one to one and a half hour naps. Um, So he'd get through the day on fewer naps, but still kind of be getting Mm. enough sleep. Um, So I'd say for now, you probably don't really need to change anything at all. But if you do start to feel like, oh, the nights are getting a bit challenging or if that last nap of the day is really hard to settle him for, that's when I just move to to four naps, roughly spaced across the day. Um, And I think pretty quickly he'd start to to have some longer naps in there as well. Um, Yeah, and and Madeline before you, I was going to say before Madeline knows that he's going to be on three naps. Yeah, yeah, that's it, true too. Probably, probably yeah, he'll drop to four and then quickly go to three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a wild ride <laughs> his first year with naps <laughs> chopping and changing all over the place. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much, Madeline, for sending that in. Um, that's a really good question. Um, who do we have up next? We have Sarah who emailed. Um she wanted to know more about tide signs. So is there a good combination or a number of tide signs to look for? Um, she feels like it can be hard to strike a good balance. And I think that's so true, isn't it? We definitely see some babies in clinic where they just don't have tide signs. <laughs> yeah. Just keep powering on. And it's really, you know, challenging to even spot any. And other parents notice really early tide signs and try and put their babies down really quickly but actually they're nowhere near tired enough for sleep yet. Um, mm. I don't know what you say to families, Laura, but I tend to say look for that point where your baby can't be distracted. They're just grizzly and grumbly. They might be pushing their face into you to kind of block out the world around them. When you feel like they just kind of can't really do much anymore um, without being a bit miserable, that's usually a pretty good point to put them down. But obviously some babies can go down a bit earlier than that point and they settle fine. Um, so probably yeah. just maybe... Um, watch your baby and you'll start to get a sense of which tired signs really indicate that they have to get into bed pretty quickly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Would you agree with that, Laura? 
Yeah, I would. I'd say that there isn't a magic um, number or combination of tire signs. Each baby is very different. Um, and I think what you said there about um, the baby's ability to be distracted um, is probably a really good fail-safe um, indication of whether they're tired um, particularly mm. if your baby is not interested in holding eye contact with you um, and yeah. is kind of grizzling and almost saying get out of my face um, yes then <laughs> you're the best and most entertaining entity in your baby's life and if they <laughs> cannot be entertained by you then uh, it's time to go they're to done. sleep yeah yeah and yeah, no, I agree with that um, and Sarah also asked, asked um, she said, separation anxiety is playing a bit of an issue for us. So during the day and evening settles, they use uh, the step away modification. So this is an approach where you give your baby lots of reassurance, but you try not to stay up too close. So a lot of parents will do this mm -hmm. if they um, feel like their baby settle quicker when they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one of the modifications we suggest in the Sunbell program. Um, so they use the step away modification um, and they give him the opportunity to settle off to sleep. Um, but she was saying that most of the time he needs to be patted off to sleep. So after 20 or 30 minutes of trying to settle him, they'll just um, pat to sleep. Um, and, and she also says that overnight he likes for her to stay and help him get back to sleep after his night feeds. So her question was, the notes about separation anxiety in the Sombal program suggest that he might need more support. And she wondered if, if um, she needs to kind of go backwards from what they're doing and go to more of a camp it out style where she's staying in the bedroom um, while he falls asleep each time. She says she could manage something like that at night, but during the day it's not feasible because she has other children to care for. So I think this is a really big question. There's not a really simple answer. The first thing I would say is be really sure that it's actually separation anxiety. Um, a lot of mm -hmm. parents who get a bit of pushback at bedtime from their babies think that it's separation anxiety, um, but it actually isn't. So the key thing I'd be looking for is during the daytime, if he's playing happily in your living room and you go to wander out of the room, does he react with a big sort of anxious, fearful response? And is he crying every single time you need to separate from him? Or is it only at bedtime? Because if it's only mm. at bedtime, it might just be him sort of trying to say, don't go anywhere. <laughs> you know, I want to keep you here. <laughs> I want to have those pats to sleep. Thank you very much. Um, whereas if it's happening, you know, all the time during the day, that's a much more clear sign that he's feeling a bit of anxiety um, around separating from you. Um, Laura, what would you tend to suggest to families who yeah. do have some separation anxiety? So if there is, um, if your child or baby is experiencing separation anxiety, which generally is um, emerging around the eight month mark, sometimes a little bit earlier, um, then it's really important that you're respectful of that emotion that your baby or child is um, feeling. Um, and we want to be really mindful of not triggering an anxious response inadvertently when you're trying to settle them to sleep. Because if your child is suddenly feeling very anxious because you've left the room, um, that's not conducive to them going to sleep. Uh, mm. So when we're sure that there is separation anxiety involved, then I ordinarily would um, suggest that parents stay with their baby as they're settling them to sleep. Um, so staying in the same room where the baby can um, see them. 
um, and um, then providing um, support to the baby in the cot and there's often there's a different you know approaches that um, you can use while staying in the room um, so in Sarah's instance it sounds like she may be doing some pats and then she was doing step away um, I would just simply be putting a chair alongside the cot mm. and not stepping away so at the point where you ordinarily would be leaving the room I'll just be sitting on the chair um, and then reassuring um, your baby as um, he goes off to sleep in that way. Um, what would you be? Yeah. Um, what would you be uh, recommending, Fallon? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. That you know you can still sort of do the really frequent reassurance, but not leave the room. In fact, we suggest that heaps in the clinic. Mm. Um, you know, especially some parents just want to stay really close to their baby, so you can just sit right beside the cot on a chair. Or some parents will even set up a bed right beside the cot, um, and mm. you can still give that really frequent repetitive reassurance so they understand that you're still there um but they're also understanding that you're not chopping and changing what you're doing you're just sticking to one thing over and over again and that's really important for minimizing crying and upset in a in a quicker time frame too that sort of level of consistency um so look switching to that sort of option might be a good idea it could be sort of depending on his age it could be that he's realized that if i just cry and get really upset for 20 or 30 minutes I'm going to get a pat to sleep. So if he really loves the pat to sleep, it might be that he's kind of learned, well, I just have to cry really hard and eventually I'll get that pat to sleep. Um, so to reduce that crying for 20 to 30 minutes, if you do just sit nearby and keep um, doing the frequent reassurance but not a constant pat, it's pretty likely after a few days he'll start to settle down much quicker because he'll think, oh, well, well, I'm never getting patted to sleep anymore but mum's always here and she's always giving me frequent reassurance. So he's likely to settle down quicker um, and that will mean that you can, of course, make it out of the room a little bit quicker too. Um, if he's settling to sleep in five or ten minutes instead of 20 to 30, then you can quickly get back to your other children as well. Mm. Um, it could be that you set the other kids up. It sort of depends on their ages, which we don't we don't know how old they are, but setting them up maybe that's when they get their little bit of ipad time or some bluey on the tally um um, look there are situations too where you just don't get an option um you just have to go out with the other kids if they need you um all you can Mm. do is your best though really all you can do is your best but i would say have a think about that um the modification that that includes the chair so have a look through some bell um in that strategies chapter um, and read through those different modifications. And if you're pretty sure it's separation anxiety, then staying present in the room is likely to give you a quicker pathway um, to quick settling. Yeah, the only other thing I'd add actually, Fallon, is if it is taking up to half an hour for your baby to go to sleep, um, just to um, have another look at um, their sleep needs, it may be that you're popping them down to sleep a little bit um early um earlier than um they're ready for um so perhaps think about moving bedtime or the nap time a little bit later so that you're not spending 30 minutes trying to settle them to sleep yeah i think that's a really good point so i hope that helps sarah and thanks so much for your email um another email we had was from yesi who has sent us some really really lovely emails and i thought this (laughs) one had a question and it actually doesn't but she just talks about Um, her experiences and I thought oh parents should hear this because it's really I don't know when mine were little I loved reading stories or hearing stories about other parents experiences Um, so she says previous to joining Sunbell her four-month-old daughter 
was up every one to two hours um, overnight. And for three weeks on end, she was only able to get sort of one and a half to two hours of sleep every night. Oh, my gosh, Yessie, that's really hard. Um, <laughs> she'd say some nights she was having to hold her daughter in her arms until around 2 or 2.30 in the morning before she could safely get her into the cot without waking her. Holy heck. <laughs> Just reading wow. this and thinking, oh, that is really hard. <laughs> She said the lack of sleep was affecting both me and my daughter. Her baby daughter was showing very little interest in activities that she used to enjoy. Um, she used to be really talkative but then became very quiet and that was when, yes, she decided that she needed to really work on the sleep. Um, so then she said for the first couple of days um, of working through the Sunbell materials, it was taking between 30 and 50 minutes to settle her baby to sleep. Um, so mm-hmm. some tricky settles at first, which can be really yeah. normal, that it can be a bit challenging initially. But then she said the third and fourth days, I love that you've kept track of this, Yessie, it's great. She said the third and fourth <laughs> days, it was only taking about 20 minutes with very minimal crying while she fell asleep. And on the fifth and sixth day, it was taking less than 10 minutes for her to drift off to sleep. And then, get this, Laura, she says she's currently having a phase where she loves blowing raspberries. So instead of crying and protesting in her cot, she'll just blow raspberries before dozing (laughs) off. Oh, my gosh. What a turnaround. That is so cute. I think we need video footage of that, Yessie. (laughs) I would love to see it. Yeah, so she said the fifth day was our win day. For the first time during a nap, she slept for an hour and a half. She's finally starting to connect a couple of sleep cycles together. She also only woke up once during the night, which was a big change from waking up every hour. Um, And she says today's our sixth day, and today for the first time in four months, I was able to eat lunch on the couch while the baby slept soundly in her cot. Like, that is just... That's amazing. That makes yeah, me so amazing. happy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well done, said, Yessie. Yeah, it's so good, isn't it? She said, I know baby sleep will change a lot, um, but I'm feeling more confident in tackling future sleep issues now. And then, oh, this is just like, it's like I'm just, you know, advertising some bell at this point. <laughs> but she said, um, she said, I encourage all other parents who are considering purchasing some bell to take the leap. It's really worked well for us and improved our sleep so much and she wishes she'd just bought it sooner which is so lovely I feel like a bit of a deal saying that about our own product but it's such a lovely email and I love hearing those sorts of um, turnaround stories because you've gone from a really difficult place to a really a place where you're feeling more confident and sometimes it's not about the sleep so much it's actually about parents just kind of getting their confidence and understanding what they they need to do um, so well done, Yessie, from the bottom of my heart. I'm so thrilled for you. And, yeah, it's just wonderful, wonderful progress. Yeah, um, well done, Yessie. Thank you so much for sending um, that feedback to us. It's so nice to read it, isn't it? After all the yeah. the work of putting Sunbell together, it's just so rewarding hearing stories like that. Um, all right, so one last question. This podcast is going to be a whopper. <laughs> Um, But this one comes in from Mandy and she said, we are first time parents. Our baby is nearly six months old. She was quite a good sleeper until we returned from holidays in Ireland. Lovely. In mid-July. But she says, we got COVID on our return. She was teething, had jet lag, and I think we hit the four month sleep regression. It was a lot. She was refusing all types of sleep day and night and requiring rocking to sleep and she would wake as Mm. soon as she was put in the cot gosh yeah that's a lot all at once 
Um, she mm. says, we've been using the quick fade approach for the last week with great results so far. So the quick fade approach is where you, you work on cot settling basically with lots of padding and support along the way. Um, she says she's been waking very early at about 4am. So they've been pushing her bedtime a little bit later um, and that's starting to help, which is really good. Um, but she says sometimes during the night she screams. She isn't awake. Her eyes are closed, but she seems very distressed, like a nightmare type cry. I've read that babies can't have nightmares and night terrors only start from age four. I don't have any way to describe it other than a night terror. Um, so that's really interesting. The, you know, the kind of advice around night terrors is that they usually start from four years of age, but they can start earlier. Um, I mean, it's really hard to say whether or not this is an, a night terror. Um, it could be. Have you ever seen a night terror in a baby that young, Laura? Um, six months old. I'm not sure I have. I've definitely seen them in uh, like 18 months, two years old. Um, it does sound... Um, like a sleep terror in that she's very distressed but the eyes are closed and sleep terrors normally um, are much more frightening for the parents than they mm. are for um, the child who won't remember them the next day um, or at least once they're talking when we <laughs> it's hard to know with a six-month-old whether they'd remember them the next day um, and um, you know children can often flail their limbs about older children might um, even get out of their bed um, they can be screaming and seem really very heightened um, and very distressing um, for parents um, to watch. Um, so six months old, yeah, it is right at the, um, you know, that is very young, but it's not to say that that isn't what's happening. Um, and I think yeah, we I always reckon... have to look at the baby in front of us. Yeah, mm. true. And I think if you think it might be a night terror, then you could approach it like, you know, make the assumption that it is, in which case mm. I would say check that she's not overheated. Um, you know, put your fingers down the back of her pyjamas. Does she feel really hot and sweaty? Because we know that when we cool kids down a little bit who are having night terrors, um, often the night terrors just stop. So just check she's not mm. overheated um, because that could potentially be a trigger. Um, and also with night terrors, we generally say, um, when they're happening, try not to touch your baby too much or pick them up because sometimes that can make it go on longer. Um, often if we mm. stay hands off and just sit there closely and keep an eye on her, um, it might pass within a couple of minutes. Whereas, yeah, if we touch them, um, my kids had night terrors and some of them went on for 50 minutes. Um, they can mm. really stretch on. And it was only when I realised, wow. oh, okay, I'm not supposed to touch them, that then they started resolving in a couple of minutes. Um, so you could think about those couple of things. So, yeah, it is possible, but... Um, you know, it's not a lot that you can really do at this age apart from just making sure they're not not overheated. Um, mm. And Mandy also asks, sometimes when settling, she shakes her head side to side quite rapidly. Is it a sign that she's stressed? Someone once told me that babies that are in NICU have traumatic memories and she had a very traumatic birth, four attempts at vacuum and then forceps delivery and she had to be resuscitated at birth. Oh, Mandy, that's a really, really challenging thing to go through. Um, first of all, I would say it's rolling the head side to side when they're settling for sleep is actually a self-settling behaviour. So lots of babies do it. They find it really soothing, that kind of monotonous movement, and they're actually doing it to help calm themselves and prepare for sleep. It's not a sign that she's stressed at all. 
Um, mm-hmm. And But I love your question. I think these are really important questions to ask when they're on your mind. Um, Laura and I went down a real wormhole, didn't we, in PubMed, yeah, looking at did. all the scientific literature uh, for this one, because we've heard that too. We've had people say, oh, they can be traumatised from their birth and that can result in sleep problems and, and lots of crying and upset. Um, yeah, there's this idea that they can have psychological trauma from a tricky birth. But we just couldn't really find that evidence, could we? We found a couple of systematic reviews. It hasn't been really closely looked at or measured. And those big, Mm. so systematic reviews are kind of the gold standard of evidence. Um, And they concluded that there just wasn't enough data to actually be able to form any conclusions on this. Um, So I would say try not to worry about that at all. And if your healthcare team has told you that she's now in good health and doing well, um, I'd just focus on that, that she's okay. Um, and it sounds like you're giving her lots of support um, and you're supporting really healthy sleep as well. So that's a, a wonderful thing to do for her. Would you add any, anything to that, Laura? Um, no, um, I think that you've answered it um, really well. Uh, as new parents, we're there's so many things going on in our minds, aren't there, all the time, um, theorising, hypothesising why something might be happening mm. one day and not on other days and what's different now and what could have what could have been um, different and would that have changed where we are right now and the outcomes. And you just drive yourself mad um, with those questions. Um, we, uh, I'm very sorry to hear that you had such a um, – a traumatic birth um was it mandy yeah yeah i'm very sorry mandy that um would have been um really challenging for you um i think we need to look at um ensuring that you've got all the support that you need um because that would have been a very frightening experience for you um so think about whether um what supports what village you've got in um Mm. that that you're positioned in at the moment do you need any psychological support do you need to speak to your gp about getting a mental health plan for yourself so you can access psychological support um and um try not to drive yourself mad about something you can't change um look at your baby um as she is now is she happy is she content is she meeting uh, roughly meeting the milestones in the order that you would expect her to um if she is then you know things are going great if she isn't then talk to your um, nurse or gp um, to work out what can be done now we can't change the past but we can certainly um, put steps in place to improve the current and the future oh i love that laura what a great way to finish an episode (laughs) (laughs) so lovely oh we better go we've broken the record for the longest podcast episode but i think those those questions were really really fantastic so keep them coming in if you're listening in and you've been umming and ahhing about Sunbell, should I join, should I not, um, come and join us because it's a really great resource and we're getting such lovely feedback from, from parents and you can submit your own questions to the podcast as well. So thanks for listening in and have a great week and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. If you need help with your baby's sleep or settling, then you need Sunbell. Sunbell is Australia's first online paediatric sleep clinic for babies aged 0 to 12 months. It contains all the best resources from Dr. Fallon and Dr. Laura's sleep clinics, so you can rest easy and so can your baby. To find out more, click the link in the show notes or visit sombell.infantsleep.com.au.